he gave a keynote when I first met him where he's talking about how intense he was into the wine business and finding out, you know, what does this taste like? If someone says this tastes like uh, dirt, I need to know what dirt tastes like. So he would put dirt in his mouth from that, if he could get it from that region to see what the dirt tastes like. Or he's like, yes, many a times I put a rock in my mouth to see what this tastes like or wood or something like that. And I'm like, okay, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because some wine tastes like socks and I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Podcast Chunkies, episode 39. And today we're speaking to Vernon Ross. He's the host of the Social Strategy Podcast. And we connected at Podcast Movement 2014 and reconnected at NMX this year. And I'm glad we got to spend some time together because we got to know each other a little bit more. And I was happy to spend some time hanging out with him and figure out... uh, what he's working on and and what he's got going on and just get to know him a little bit better. So I think it just made for a much more engaging conversation. It's a really interesting talk and we hear about his origins as a podcaster, but even before that, his really um, first forays into learning how to make money online. And I think a lot of that was instilled in him that drive to learn how to do something, um, how to make money, how to hustle, if you will. Um, it, I believe it came from his, his, his mom and you'll hear why in the interview. And it's a really inspirational story, how she was able to motivate him to think outside the box for, uh, ways in which he could help contribute to help out his family at the time. Uh, he talks about some stories with the now defunct CompUSA and he talks about how also he learned d- different ways that you can make money online through affiliates, um, his experience with gaming, and little by little as he built out the site, discovering that he had a voice and he had an expertise which translated into uh, being asked to a- appear as a speaker. And he's done that successfully now for the past year. And he recently spoke at NMX. And he talks about it as an ongoing process and how he learns along the way and how he learns from people who have done it before very successfully, people like Pat Flynn and Chris Brogan. And he's really taking his show to a point where he's speaking to people that he's interested in. Um, And I think he realizes that that's where he gets the most value for his guests. So it's it really is a fun conversation, really relaxed, and I hope you you get to know Vernon Ross a little bit better as a result of our talk together. Thanks. So Vernon Ross, thank you for joining uh, us on Podcast Junkies. What's going on, man? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> this it's been a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I guess you could say this interview was a year and a half in the making. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not because I'm that hard to get a hold of, though. No, it's well, it's uh, real life takes over, right? And you have to, right? And we, oh, we should meet up, or or we should uh, connect, and let's let's do it. And then a year later, I we run into each other at NMX again. Oh no, no, actually, it was actually podcast movement first. Well, it's and then, podcast movement, yeah, it's yeah. podcast movement. And we had made plans to kind of connect after that, but then other stuff happened, <laughs> right. and then. In a way, I think sometimes things always work out for the best because we actually got to chat a little bit more at yeah. NMX this year, 
And I think it just makes for a richer conversation. Yeah, I think it does. We've got some good frames of reference to talk to each other about. So you actually were speaking again. You're you're all over the speaking circuit. <laughs> I'm trying, man. What was your talk at NMX about? Oh, I don't even remember now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was about building influence. So um, I called it borrowed influence and how you can basically borrow influence from the type of guests that you have and the type of people that you have on your podcast. And it's... um. Some a couple a couple guests or a couple people that I talk to say, "Oh, the Jamie Tardy method." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, not not exactly, but I mean, it's it's a little bit of that, I, I suppose, where you're automatically going to get associated with the type of people that you have on your podcast, uh, especially if it's more of a conversation and it's not just interview questions. You know, where you just fire off questions, they answer. And after a half hour, it's like, oh, okay, so thank you for coming on the show. And they don't know anything about you and you don't know anything about them. So when you can actually get into a good conversation, challenge them on some of their answers, dig deeper into their answers, it it gives you a certain amount of authority that you can then use to get speaking gigs or, you know, get yourself invited to certain things or, you know, pretty much do whatever you want to with it to build a a bigger audience that you have more influence over. And it seems like you've done a fantastic job of it for a podcast that hasn't been around that long. When you look at the list, right. when you list a, look at the list of folks that you've had on, you've had people like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Chris Brogren, you spoke to James Shramko, and talk a little bit about how uh, maybe you, you had some luck in the beginning and how, how later on you figured out how to leverage your connections to get some of these more heavy hitters on your show. Yeah, you know, the um, the very first person that I wanted to get on was Pat Flynn. I was like, how am I going to get Pat Flynn on? I, you know, I just run into his blog probably three months before I actually met him. And I'm like, okay, there's, I don't know, because I know he gets a lot of requests and haven't really even started the podcast yet. And I planned on it and had all these plans. Okay. I'm going to talk to Lewis House first and (laughs) then we'll get Michael Stelzner. And then that's going to, that's going to kick off the show. I'll get Pat Flynn. And so I had all these grandiose ideas. And one of my first guests, I, I should call him out because he canceled on me. I've never, <laughs> I've, I've never talked to this guy since. Uh, yeah, I think I will. Stuart Crane from, Stuart Crane. Uh, oh, what was the name of his? TV Talk. Okay. I think he has a website. Yeah, it's a website called tvtalk.com. I heard about him from Cliff Ravenscraft, who was another one that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get Cliff and all these people as I you know, jumped into the podcasting world. I guess I should step back. I was listening to uh, David Simon Garland from The Rise to the Top, and he was talking to um, Michael Stelzner. And Michael Stelzner was like, 2013 is the year of the podcast. If you don't have a podcast, you need to start one. I'm like, that's it. That's what I'll do (laughs) because I am having crap luck with these clients actually listening to what I say. So it was all a ploy to get clients to pay more attention. If I could build this, you know, authority – Outside of the St. Louis area, people would not have a choice but to listen when I was like, hey, this is what you need to do and this is why you need to do it. You know how you always get challenged. Mm-hmm. You give a client advice. They go, oh, well, I read this or that. And I'm like, I, I want to find a way to get over that. Plus, I like to talk a lot anyway. And these are people that I want to meet that I know I can learn stuff from. There's no way you're going to just be able to get those people to mentor you just for free. 
But a podcast is basically a free half hour to hour mentorship with people that you admire. So I was like, this is just a natural thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, jumping back forward, I made this huge list of people that I wanted to contact. And Stuart Crane was one of the ones because he had started this podcasting network. He was sending people equipment and paying them per podcast, like 90 bucks an episode. Wow. He would send a Heil PR40. Um, that's, a not a, Bar- that's, that's not a cheap mic. Yeah, $249 mic. <laughs> and a Behringer uh, mixer, or I think it was Behringer, or whatever it is that Cliff recommended, because Cliff developed his whole package. And I'm like, that's amazing. I, I'm going to talk to this guy. I had my little AT2100 that's, that's right here. Yep, I'm pointing to it yep, for, for you guys. Same here. Yeah, I love this microphone, but... I'm like, okay, this is awesome. He's going to be the first one. And I kid you not, half hour maybe before the podcast. Oh, sorry, dude. I, um, this is this is not going to work out. Let's let's go ahead and reschedule. And I'm like, wow, oh, great. So, okay, I'm not going to miss my launch date. I set my launch date for September 30th. It's my birthday. I'm like, okay, no, no big deal. I only had one guest booked. Big mistake. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. You had a plan A and no plan right? B. <laughs> exactly. So I still had a couple days. So he rescheduled and then canceled on me again within like, I think it was 15 minutes. I may be mixing it up, but he canceled on me twice. Wow. Right at the last minute. And I'm just like, oh, wow. So the first one ended up being a solo episode <laughs> and I launched it by midnight of the 30th. So it was really the October 1st, but I ended up launching and that was kind of how I jumped into the whole podcasting world. Uh, getting Pat Flynn, I, uh, I use the, the, um, the whole media partner thing yeah. as an end to be able to get them to pay attention. So, uh, for the financial bloggers conference, 23rd, 2013, 20, yeah, 24, I don't know. Financial bloggers conference is a year and a half. Yeah. 2014. AKA FinCon. Right, FinCon. I heard it was coming to St. Louis. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's awesome. And then I start hearing about the lineup, and I'm like, Jamie Tardy, Pat Flynn, Derek Halperin, somebody I hadn't even thought about getting on the list because I just didn't think it was possible. I'm like, they're going to all three be in St. Louis, and it's like, hey, Balky was going to be there, Davis Eidman Garland, who's local but hard to get in touch with. There was just so many people there that I wanted to meet. Uh, Grammar Girl was going to be there, the uh, Quick and Dirty Tips the financial uh, chick, I can't think of her name right now. She was going to be there. There was just so many people I wanted to meet. Um, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the best. And it's right here. I don't have to pay for a flight. <laughs> and I'm not paying to get in this conference. What can I do? Because <laughs> I am not. I wasn't ready to speak. I hadn't even really launched. I had two interviews and they were both local people. So. I was like, oh, well, you know what? I do PR and stuff. Let me contact them about doing a media partnership. So I reached out to uh, Philip Taylor, PT Money, as most people know him, and pitched, hey, let me do media sponsorship for you guys. We'll, we'll come in, take a bunch of pictures, do some blog posts, and throw a, a party for you guys at one of the local wine bars. Uh, free of charge, just come show up. There'll be a free drink. You know, your first drink's on me. Uh, food, the whole nine. And I, I used one of my uh, contacts here locally. They own a wine bar. They're good friends of ours. And they provided the the stuff. It was within walking distance of the conference. 
got about, I don't know, maybe 40 people to show up because I ended up planning their opening event right as my event was coming up. But that was okay. I still was able to provide a lot of value. PT was able to show up for a few minutes before he had to get back. And that was kind of my end. And from that, I was able to book Pat Flynn and Jamie and hang out with those guys. And Derek Halpern never gave me the interview that he promised. <laughs> so, yeah. It seems, I, like, it seems like you're going to have to have your wall of, uh, wall of shame. Yeah, wall of shame. I've called him out on a couple of uh, podcasts. I'm just hoping it gets around to him and I run into him. And he goes, dude, why'd you call me out on those podcasts? I'm like, because you never gave me my interview after you dropped my recorder. So, oh, really? That sounds like another story. Oh, dude. Yeah. He like fumbled my um, Zoom H4N and it hit a concrete floor and sl- slid across the floor. And he goes, <gasps> if I broke it, I'll buy you another one. And I'm like, yeah, for the co- by the conference tomorrow, because I was going to be using it for. Oh, interviews. wow. It wasn't broken. So, yeah. I mean, he was he was a good guy and a good sport about it. So I'm giving him way too much crap. But yeah. uh, uh, he, I can will t- s- he can take it. Everyone, anyone oh, who, yeah. who's heard I, Derek. Halper I will knows. say this about Derek. He gave up his um, his speaking fee, and instead of taking the speaking fee, he took the speaking fee and paid for a party for everyone at FinCon. Oh, nice! So, I mean, that was it was unlimited drinks, open bar, food, the whole nine. So he, he's a stand up guy. I just like giving him crap. Very cool. Yeah, he can take it. That was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, what it's what it's funny is that it's almost like we have to take apart a lot of the 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 great information that you provided there you know one of one of the the things that you mentioned was the fact that you leveraged an existing skill that you already have yeah and i think that's so important because sometimes people go into these situations and say well i have nothing to offer i i I, i'm like you said i'm not a podcaster or i don't have a show because if you narrowly think only in the arena where you want to play in you're going to limit yourself as opposed to thinking outside the box and saying wait a minute i'm i've got 30 40 years of of experience in mm-hmm. my job in my craft in my skill in something i mean heck if you, even if you play the piano or something like there's <laughs> there's something that you could go or or you took a bartending class i don't know i'll be a, your your guest bartender like think outside the box and and you had the the pr skills the connections with the wine bar and just the the intuitiveness to say this if i pe- take these pieces together because one of them by itself may not have been enough Mm-hmm. But it's your PR skills, it's your connections, it's your it's it's the right timing of the conference coming, and it's the fact of that you know enough to put together an event that would attract at least a good 30, 40 people. And that's really right. what you need to hit the ground running. So for the listener, I think that the awesome takeaway is to don't uh, put, limit yourself by what, you, by what you think you can do because you, you don't think you have enough skills or you don't have enough experience or enough connections. I think if you really... Um, are put to the test and realize what you do have available, you'd be surprised sometimes. Oh yeah, man. It's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I used everything I had to try to get into FinCon without paying. <laughs> I mean, that was the big thing. I was like, Oh man, it's, it was just a few, you know, a couple months. I'm like, I don't want to pay that much for a conference that's local, but I also don't want to, Hey, how can I get in free? And yeah. it was like, no, I got to get some value. And, uh, you know, I got really good be- feedback from PT. He goes, hey, you know, usually with media partnerships, we'll get, you know, maybe a blog post or, you know, maybe a, a couple pictures or a mention or something like that. But he liked the fact that I went to as many sessions as I could. I took pictures. I tweeted, um, wrote about it. 
and did as much as I could. And, and he just saw me all around the conference talking to everyone. So it was, hey, okay, I really do appreciate you going the extra mile because most people, when they say media partnership, they come for the first day and then they don't come back. I went through everything, went to all the events, hung out, talked to as many people as I possibly could and really just kind of got out there. Oh, hey, I'm launching this podcast. And oh, by the way, I'm also doing this other stuff. And that's where I first met uh, Cynthia Sanchez. Oh, yes. I love Cynthia. She was uh, my guest number two. Oh, wow. Was she? Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah I think. No, go ahead. No, no. She's very accommodating and she's very sweet. And I think she, um, I posted something on a Throwback Thursday on Instagram recently about her, with her, about her interview. And Natalie Ekdahl from Bischick's podcast commented, mm-hmm. I had Cynthia on early in my show as well and so she really gives pot you know podcasters a chance i think you know she probably remembers when she was getting started um, yeah. and we're looking for like quality people to interview and you know she can talk for hours about podcasting or social media pinterest whatever whatever what have you and so i love the fact that her name keeps coming up and everyone speaks really highly of her oh yeah i love cynthia and and her husband rob i mean we hit it off really well yeah the other so, thing, yeah. the the other thing you talked about uh, was the challenge you had with just getting with your podcast off the ground, but yeah. I, but I think what you did that was important is that you set yourself a deadline. Yeah, because if you had hit all those road bumps and you had no deadline, you wouldn't have felt the pressure to to, to keep moving forward, and you would have just said, "Well, it just means I'm going to launch this podcast at some." Mm-hmm unknown date in the future some ambiguous date and i think that the power of really pressuring ourselves with these self-imposed timelines i think is really important a lot of people don't do it because they're afraid they're afraid of really putting themselves out there and and sometimes it's it's that whole uh mantra about telling as many people as you can when you have a goal to set if you want to lose some weight or you want trying to get (laughs) a new job right you you tell people and the more people you tell the more scary it is because you're putting yourself on the line yeah, and I did quite a bit of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm launching this podcast. And, you know, the funny thing is it started, that was, when I heard that interview, it was February of that year. And I didn't launch until September because, I mean, I did so much research on podcasting and what to do and what not to do and mix minus and do you want to set that up and, you know, do I want to record into a recorder? And right now I'm just using Skype and yeah. Ecamm. So, you know, it, it, it goes back and forth, but it was so much fun getting to learn all of the stuff. And that kind of built my, you know, my top 25 list, which I've pretty much completed. Oh, the uh, is that top 25 of people you wanted to have on? Yeah, top 25 of people I wanted to have on. Very cool. And I think uh, you mentioned that you were doing, so you had the podcast because it's something that you wanted to create as an extension of your online brand. Yeah. So how long were you doing what you have now in terms of the the blog or the website before you started podcasting? You know, there were um, there were several kind of iterations of it. The VernonRoss.com website was kind of just a placeholder, and I was doing some of everything off of that. It was had some affiliate marketing stuff up there at once. Uh, it was at one point it was just the blog. I jumped around to a couple different blogging platforms because I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, because back in the like late nineties, early two thousands, I did a lot of affiliate marketing stuff. So I would build a, a niche site for a video game that was coming out, you know, during pre-launch and drive traffic to it when Google didn't 
or when Google rewarded you for the, the silliness. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd make a little side money here, a little side money there, just literally buying URLs and just driving traffic to a crap page that had an affiliate offer on it. And, you know, I'd get some money from GameStop or something like that. Yeah. So it was kind of all over the place. But um, one of the things that I did is I had a video game business, and a lot of people don't know that, is um, we did video game tournaments uh, locally and nationwide. So I built pretty much the PR business off the video game event business. And from that, sponsors started contacting me on LinkedIn because I was always big on LinkedIn. I've been on LinkedIn since like the very start, always making connections on LinkedIn, reaching out to everybody that I connect with on LinkedIn. And so from that, one of the groups I was in and posting on a regular basis, it was a um, PR and social media or something group, uh, PR pros or something like that. Uh, someone reached out to me and was like, hey, we're looking for sponsorship for an event. And we saw that you've worked with GameStop and McDonald's and Coca-Cola. And we really would like to, you know, get in contact with some of those brands. And I'm like, well, sure, you know, let's talk. I didn't really have a, a business to launch that from. It was just a video game business. And I'm like, oh, man, you know what? I got to do something to bring all of these brands together. So I launched Ross Public Relations. That was kind of how the the PR business started. And then from that, I built the social media stuff because it, it went more from PR and sponsorship sourcing as 2008 start changing and social media really just started exploding. I was using social media to book video game events with MySpace and Friendster. Wow. You know, I, I could get people to show up with MySpace. I loved it because it was like, that was the thing and it was so new that people were like, oh, wow, I know this person online and I can now go meet them offline. And during that MySpace generation, people were all up for that. Now you send a Facebook invite and you get, you know, 3000 people that say they're going to come and you get 300. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but with that, man, I could get, you know, 200 people, 200 kids, you know, 15 to 25, maybe 30 to show up to a video game event and compete for money. And that was it was awesome. And it was a way to use what was we didn't really think of social media at the time. This online basically forum on steroids to get people to do what you wanted. And so that was kind of how I got into the whole social media thing and consulting on social media and sold a few restaurants, some find me on MySpace stickers to put on their uh, <laughs> <laughs> put on their windows and stuff like that. But that was kind of how I got into the social media thing. And and from that, you know, getting clients and consulting on social media and the podcasting was just a way to build more authority in that whole social media space and get people to listen when you wanted to talk. Plus, it was a way for me to be able to book speaking gigs and do the kind of thing that I wanted to do, which is basically teaching people and talking about social media for business. Have you heard of a site called um, Machinima? Yeah. Okay. I know I, those guys. Okay. I interviewed uh, Ryan Williams. Oh, will, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> influencer funny. economy, and he used to work for Machinima. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. It's a really nice That's, guy. Yeah, I heard of them. Uh, it was back in the um, in the Halo days when I played Halo 2 quite a bit. So for the listeners, Machinima is a website that I think what you were uh, referring to is had people come to the site to watch other people play video games. Yeah. Yeah. Video <laughs> on demand stuff. And they, I think they also had something to do with, uh, 
Rib versus Blue. It was the um, Halo-centered um, like voiceover, okay. almost like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, it's a whole other world, right? Like It's a whole economy oh, yeah. around video gaming. It's so crazy. Yeah, there is. I think my video game experience peaked with um, PlayStation 3. <laughs> and maybe some Mortal Kombat, and uh, oh, yeah. uh, I didn't really get into like the war games. And yeah. uh, I think, as far as shoot 'em ups online, it, pro- it probably peaked with Doom, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Quake, Quake or Doom. <laughs> oh my God! I just uh, no, but it, uh, but as far as the consoles, I think it was PlayStation Three. Um, yeah, yeah, most of that. So it was fun. Yeah, well, you know, having having two girls and and two nephews all around close to the same age, it was just the coolest thing to them that I was involved with video games. So it's just always been one of those things I've just kept up with because it was a way to stay connected to the kids. Yeah, that's good. So, so taking what you were doing there with um, the the video gaming thing and and the fact that you were looking for some opportunities for you know you were using affiliates. Um, that was really born out of, it sounds like, uh, looking for opportunities to figure out what your niche was going to be online. Yeah. Um, so talk a bit about when you decided that you needed to be online in the first place. You know, what, what was it that made you realize that um, you needed to make a transition from what I'm assuming was a not mm-hmm. online experience yeah. and job to where you had that moment where, hey... I need to take notice something is happening here and I need to be a part of it. Right. You know, the, um, I think the first like online, online experience, I was very early online. So, you know, 94, 96 bulletin boards. I ran a bulletin board back when I was in high school, back in 88. So what was the topic? Oh shit. I don't even remember at this, at this point. I just remember it was a bunch of us online, maybe 15 people. And we were running off a server that we weren't supposed to be running off of at our high school. Nice. And so, I mean, we was just basically a chat room and we would all just jump on the phone and talk about stupid stuff. I mean, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, but up. at that time, it seems like the coolest thing. This is, uh, I don't know if the t- I've got the timing right, but it's like the, that feeling you get when you watch uh, War Games with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. We, I've seen that so many times. Way more than I'm willing to admit. Yeah, it was so funny because uh, everyone's just fascinated. And when you look back, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember he's pulling out like not even the five and a quarter inch floppy disk. He, put, he had like the eight inch one, <laughs> which probably holds like nothing in terms of data. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my, my phone is more powerful than that computer yeah. now. Well, you, but yeah, that that was awesome, man. So that you went. So you went from the chat room. So I went from that to. Um, a GeoCity site and was just kind of playing around with it. When I first found out um, you could do stuff online and actually make money with it, uh, I have an IT background. So I've been an IT person for 20 years. Okay. Um, started off desk side support, you know, the, the basic stuff, help desk stuff. But I was always getting those phone calls from relatives saying, oh, man, can you come help me, you know, do this? And of course, they don't want to pay you. And you're, like, you're, you're the you're the guy in the family that they call for. I'm that. the guy. I'm the guy. And I was like, I hated being the guy, but it was like, well, you know, a couple of these people have actually paid me to do stuff. And I'm like, what can I do to add more value to this silly service that I'm offering? 
that's not just dollars for hours. Like, because I, I was getting really tired of working a 50 hour work week hmm. or, you know, 40 hour work or 45 hour work week at the time. And then another 25, 30 hours right after I get off running to different people's houses to do stuff. Cause I mean, I had a nice little business. I go into Best Buy and, or actually at the time, Computer City or CompUSA. <laughs> CompUSA, wow. Yeah. And uh, just walk around in the computer area and I'd have my work clothes on, take my name tag off and people would just be confused. And I'd walk up to them and start explaining stuff. And they're like, do you work here? And I'm like, no, I actually have my own computer business. Look around and hand them a business card. I was like, <laughs> anything you buy here, I can help you set it up. So just give me a call once you get home. That's with your awesome. computer. So I'm like, why am I I'm giving away business. I need a way to sell them a computer, but how am I going to do that? Yeah. I, I didn't know how to do it. And so I ran into this company. It was a um, direct sales company called Hand Technologies. <laughs> and they offered everything. They were selling Sysmax white box systems. So I could put these things together. Yeah. They had this website and I was doing a URL forward. And I can't even remember the name of it, uh, the website that I was using. But you go out to my website and it would just basically forward you over to their website. And I'd get you know, from a cookie and the URL, anything that you bought on there. And I, I looked bigger than I was. And yeah. so I was talking to you know, dentist offices and doctor's offices. Oh yeah, I can set you up and sell all your computers. And I was like, Oh my God, I was making like 1200 bucks a month. And I'm like, what? And I'm not doing anything. Exactly. So it was, it was amazing. And it, it evolved to the point of where you could sell broadband. And so people were, you know, it was like, Oh, Hey, I need to sign up for internet. And I was doing my same old thing, going on a Best Buy and, they're like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, well, hey, why don't you sign up for Internet? You go out here, look and see what's available in your area and just sign up for it there. It goes right through them, you know, not through me. This is just a portal for you to get there. And I get 60 bucks to sign up. Nice. So, you know, I'm making a few thousand dollars online for a couple hours of work and not doing nearly as much running around. And that was kind of the first aha, you know, aha moment. Aha moment. The second one was when... um I just had a, a, a series of managers that were horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just, I got to find another source of income in the event that one day I walk in and I'm not a nice guy or I just get fired for cussing somebody out, which, you know, happens a lot. So I'm like, okay, I, I just need to get out of this place. And it didn't happen as quick as like quickly as I wanted it to, but it was another option. And so that was kind of how I, you know, first really, really got online. That's an interesting story. So, so basically you were the first geek squad. I was the first geek squad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first time I've ever told that story. Uh, that's awesome, man. But it's so funny because it, at the time, and it's probably not the case now. Well, first of all, cause those stories are dying out so quickly. <laughs> exactly. They're not even around, but yeah. I think there's more information available now, but you probably were at a peak time when Technology was booming. This new technology was booming. Everyone was interested in computers, but just the sense of overwhelm that people have when the, they had the thought of how do I put this together? What yeah. goes first? And a lot of since we're in IT and I grew up with IT as well, um, just naturally comfortable around the technology, right? Yeah. I mean, I had oh, a yeah. Tandy One Thousand like, from yeah. Texas Instruments as well, so. <laughs> Oh, going really old school, but I, I think my my daddy actually worked for a company that had. Uh, he actually used to work for Exxon, and they had a 
electronic typewriter division for some reason. It was called Quix, Q-Y-X. And hmm. he, he brought this mammoth, like, giant typewriter, the biggest typewriter probably you can ever imagine. It's like an atomic bomb. And it was... And it was the latest technology because it had one line it would just you could type oh, out yeah. you could type out one line digitally on the yeah. screen and then you could correct it and you're like and then you hit enter and then it would and it would just start. I remember that <laughs> and it was a big deal right because you don't have to like type it to the paper directly it was like intelligent typewriter and I was like whoa it was crazy but i mean so at the time so growing up with this we become we become very um comfortable with it and sometimes we take it for granted and it's only when you're out there and you're talking to relatives or other people that you just realize wow it's a lot yeah. of overwhelm. There's a lot of opportunity to help people. And if you do it in a, a ethical way, there's no reason why you can't make some money from it at, at the same time. Right. You know, the funny thing is it all goes back to a conversation I had with my mom. I was, um, I was 15. Uh, we were not very, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money and I, we were poor. Yeah. And she's like, look, I can't give you, I can't pay tuition for private school. I went to private school because she was absolutely not going to have me go to public school not in the area we were living in. And, um, although the, the private school is still in the same area. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, so you, I just I'm, had I'm, to, I'm assuming you had to wear some sort of uniform or, Oh yeah. Yeah. Every day. It makes, yeah. makes, so it, I, makes a difference. Yeah. And so I ran fast. <laughs> <laughs> I was Catholic school boy. So, yeah. and it didn't help that I also went to Catholic church. So, okay. but, um, she was like, look, you you're going to have to get a job if you want extra money, if you want spending money. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And she goes, what do you know how to do? And I'm like, uh, nothing. <laughs> she goes, no, everybody knows how to do something. This is what you know how to do. Every Saturday morning, what do you do? And I'm like, watch cartoons. And she goes, before you can watch cartoons. It's like, oh, uh, wash the dishes from the night before, sweep them off the kitchen, Wipe, sweep, sweep them and, and wipe down the steps and then go back and Murphy's oil soap the steps. We had uh, hardwood steps in the city in this yeah. old like brownstone that we lived in. And she's like, what else do you know how to do? I'm like, cut the grass, you know, pick up trash. And she was like, so basically, you know how to do a janitor's job. You just rattled off like three or four jobs right there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she's like, so what you do, you know, what you need to do is you go to a restaurant and you tell them what you can do and that you're willing to do it if they give you a chance. And that's how you do that. Now she had also, you know, my sister and her had also showed me how to fill out an application yeah. and all this other stuff beforehand. So, and that's what I did. I went to a couple restaurants and I asked for the owner and it's like, look, I don't have any experience, but this is what I know how to do at home. And I, I would love to do that here for whatever it is that you want to pay me. I just need some extra money to buy stuff with. And I, I didn't know anything about minimum wage or any of that. I was like, I'm just willing to work hard and do whatever you want me to do. Yeah, child, child, like, child labor laws. He's like, what? Uh, okay, come back. Uh, come back at this time. Be on time and I'll give you a job. And that was how I got my first job. That's an awesome story, Vern. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, props to your mom for not doing it in a way where she, you, she allowed you to come to the answer yourself. Yeah. Right. She's like, okay, yeah. what, what do you know how to do? And you're like, nothing. And they're like, well, think about it. And it's so amazing sometimes. Um, and I'm sure it's some of those lessons have been passed on to you as a, as a parent. Now, um, people, you know, even kids don't like to be talked down to. They don't like to be like nagged and they don't like to be, you know, made, make, made it seem like, only the answers come from 
on high, right? So, you know, sometimes right. you have the knowledge in your own head to figure out what you need to do next. And with a little guidance, and she gave you some amazing guidance right there. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, she kind of helped you come to the answer yourself. And you feel like almost self-empowered when you went out there. You're like, yeah, I do know something. And then I'm sure that led to a couple of jobs, yeah. for, jobs for you. Oh, everything. She she was amazing, man. She um, After that, she goes, and what, when, once you get the job, do everything there. Learn how to do everything there. Watch everyone yeah. all the time. She's like, start with watching the owner and what he does. And then just do that. Do the, do the stuff that you see the successful people doing. And you'll eventually get to that level of success. Now, I mean, she's college educated and she was big into uh, motivational recording. So there mm-hmm. was a lot of that stuff laying nice. around our house. Yeah. So yeah, I was exposed to it early, but I mean, she she was an amazing influence. And it's the same thing for podcasting. It's like, you know, emulate the the people that are on top. Don't copy them, but, you know, watch what they're doing to be successful and then just do that. Yeah, it's so funny. My my dad used to do the same thing with motivational tapes. And I don't know, I, I wish I'd been more receptive because at that point you're just like, I don't want to listen to this. Like, right. it, was, it was vinyl. I mean, he had a vinyl and some, <laughs> oh of, some of it was cassettes. Um, and I think I remember some of them was like The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah. Like some Dale Carnegie stuff. And I'm like, why are we listening to this, man? I'd rather like be watching, like playing a video game or right. which, which was probably Atari at the time. It wasn't even <laughs> a cool one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny like um they know like i think if they just deliver the message in a bunch of different ways eventually one of them will stick yeah how to win friends and influence people was at my house and i'd, I'd look through it and thumb through it but i guess some of the stuff got in through osmosis yeah that's awesome that's a really good story and it's really uh motivational and to, to kind of and, and it must be good for you and and with some fondness you can look back on those memories and sort of now as you're older see how a lot of that sort of molded who you are oh yeah man you know everything i am i owe to my mom and her messages of you know positive reinforcement because you know growing up in the city especially in a bad neighborhood you just don't have it yeah you know she's like you can be anything you want to be regardless of whatever your situation is it's like you just have to believe it and work hard enough for it. And, you know, it's like, OK, sure. Nice. And it, it didn't make a difference that she wasn't doing exactly what she wanted to do because I saw her rebuild herself so many times. So it was like, oh, OK, this, it's possible, I guess. So I just don't think that anything there's anything out there that I can't figure out a way to do. Yeah. And from the conversations we had, we had a couple of those at NMX. And, and you know, I just I just had that that vision of you like I got to. MacGyver uh, a way into this situation where I, like you would figure out where you wanted to be and then be like reverse engineer like yeah. yourself and then like you know fast forward to the event date and you're like hey I'm here at the event I'm like <laughs> right you know so, and with each one I imagine you're getting better and better at it you know it's funny when you when we talk about New Media Expo when I was there last year I was sick as a dog I think a lot of people there were sick uh, there was some kind of weird virus going on. I heard around. about I think there was something about that, right? Like people were tweeting about that after the event last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it hit me. I don't know. I, I must have gotten it on the plane or was probably already coming down with it because it was like nationwide. People were just sick. Yeah. And oh, oh my God, it was horrible. But I ran into Rick Calvert and I was just like, hey, Rick, this is, a, this is an awesome conference. I really want to speak here next year. I'm going to figure out some way to do it. I haven't launched my podcast yet, but I'm going to come back next year and, and speak at this event next year. And he goes, okay, man, well, 
you know, great to meet you, weirdo. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, you know, sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But yeah. No, but, sure it, but, like, sure. but it's funny because you have to, I mean, I'm a big believer in setting intentions, right? And yeah. putting out to the universe what you want, what you want to happen. So that's what you did. You're like, I'm just telling, I'm just letting you know, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to be here next year speaking and, you know, lo and behold, you actually pulled it off. Yeah, I was I was a little, a little bit shocked, and trust me, it was. Um, I submitted my proposal on the last possible day. Yeah, literally on the last possible day after uh, talking to Dave Jackson and listening to a couple of his podcasts, and he actually did an episode of "Hey, if you want to speak at New Media Expo, this is what you need to do." And so I just wrote down a checklist and made sure I did every last one of those things, and. You know, one of the things that I'll tell people, if you want to speak at an event, no matter what the event, you have to have proof that you can actually talk. Yeah. And most people don't have that proof. And you'd be surprised. I mean, I was talking to a couple bloggers that are pretty prominent bloggers, but they don't have any recordings of them doing anything. And I'm like, you've got to get somebody to either follow you around with a camera, take some video. I still have my uh, little flip video cam. The flip cam. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'll, I'll set the thing up on a tripod and take video if I have to. I mean, it's it's 720p. That's good enough for a speaking reel. Sound is good and, on that, too. Yeah, they don't expect, you know, HD quality, fully edited video. They just want to see that you have experience on stage. And that's that's a huge part of it. And being prepared to speak whenever you go. So knowing what your topic is, knowing what you're going to talk about and having something in your pocket ready that you can talk about and then modify for whatever conference you're going to be at. And I'm, I'm assuming it seems like that the first couple would be a bit hard because, you know, mm-hmm. there's a whole combination of nerves, um, figuring out what you're going to say and having the, the, the time necessary to prepare because a lot of times your first one is, is, your most important one because it's sort of like gets your gets you off the ground and, and gets your whole speaking uh, life kicked off, if you will. Yeah. So I think there's maybe more investment of time that needs to go into there. But I think, like you said, it's just being aware of the opportunities uh, that if you are given some uh, a space and a forum to speak, just to to always be ready to, like you said, record it and capture that sort of once in a lifetime opportunity to demonstrate to other people that you are the subject matter expert or that you have done this before. Right. And you don't, you know, you don't have to, um, there's all, there's a different type of experts. There's a one that has experience and then there's the research expert. You can research something really well and speak on it that way. People, I think they expect for you to have experience, but I think if you tell them, Hey, I've researched this and this, these are my findings. Hmm they're also receptive to, you know, to that type of communication when you're speaking. I haven't done that one before, but I've heard of people doing that. Yeah. Speaking of research, I was uh, catching up on some of your older shows and I heard the one you did with Pat Flynn, who's now become uh, famous for his, (laughs) his, his his keynotes and he tries to continuously up himself. And so, (laughs) and so for the folks who weren't at NMX who haven't heard by now, uh, Pat Flynn, Starts off with a Hollywood quality film <laughs> yeah. trailer. It was amazing. Yeah, with um, with a Back to the Future theme because he's a obvious Back to the Future aficionado. And then he, as if that wasn't, as if the video wasn't enough. Like I would have seen the video and be like, "Wow, that's an awesome intro to a keynote." 
he right. pulls in from the back of the room, driving up in a freaking DeLorean, actual <laughs> DeLorean. DeLorean. <laughs> like the DeLorean, the DeLorean from Back to Future. Exactly, from the movies. And he's dressed up like Mar- like Marty uh, Marty McFly, right? Is it Marty McFly. Marty McFly, and he gets out. And all he would have needed to do was like hoverboard onto the stage. <laughs> I thought he was going to. I'm like... He's got a hoverboard. If he pulls out a hoverboard, I'm like, let's like go nuts here. It's cra- so crazy. So the crowd went wild, and um, he takes this stuff seriously, man. He really, yeah. um, and it's so funny because he he really just knocked it out of the park. So much oh, yeah. so that the next speaker was just completely overshadowed. I mean, uh, the, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to name names, but it wasn't good. And compared to the quality of what Pat had just delivered, it was completely, basically overshadowed him and just kind of showed you like how it's done. Right. Which is fantastic. Um, When he was on your show, he talked about his first opportunity at FinCon to deliver a keynote. And the number which fascinated me was, I think, 250 hours. Yeah. Because you asked him how long it took to prepare. He took to prepare. And he took it so seriously. And I think that just comes from his, his background. You know, he's... He was previously an architect. He's got that really attention to detail mentality, and he takes these projects very seriously. I remember um, listening to an episode of Smart Passive Income where he talked about the process of preparing that Mm -hmm. keynote, and he was literally like recording himself, watching himself in front of a mirror, like repeating his slides, going over them like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times, like just rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. And then when I heard and was reminded of that number, 250, then I wasn't surprised. And and obviously you can't do that every single time. But I think mm-hmm. when he realized how important of an opportunity this was, and obviously I think he said it was his first paid one. And so it set the stage. I mean, yeah. when, once you see someone put that level of dedication into a keynote, then your your name just comes up all over the place every time now right. and and obviously 10x that more now after his and right. <laughs> his nmx <laughs> uh gig so i think it just speaks to uh what, what you were alluding to just you know learning with each one taking the opportunities really seriously because a lot of times yeah. people will, will be will be given that opportunity and they're like okay yeah we'll give you a shot and then they just totally f it up like they're just they, they're not prepared they embarrass themselves and you know what when the requests to speak dry up after that you know don't be surprised as to why yeah you know it's funny i've seen some um like really big name people do their slides li- literally five minutes before they go on stage and wow. i'm just like you know you might be good enough to do that yeah but you're not serving the people that have paid to be here mm-hmm by last minute doing anything. And although I'm bad at it, I'm, I am horrible at doing my stuff beforehand. I go over a lot of stuff in my head. Yeah. Um, I've never actually filmed myself doing my presentation. Just never have. Um, because I think it's more of a, uh, for me, it's more of a performance than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think you can practice a performance, but <clears throat> excuse me, just like a lot of, um, actors don't want to watch themselves. Yeah. It's just, it's not that I have a hang up about doing it. It's just something I've never actually done. Everyone's, just, every, yeah, everyone's got a different approach. And, and, and I think when you find the one that works for you, I think just stick with it. And if, it, if it, the results speak for themselves, right? If you end up giving a, a really good presentation and you're getting folks uh, patting you on the back for it, then 
then the, the approach that you use to get to that and to deliver that worked for you. And that's, yeah. that's not to say like if people want to try the Vernon Ross approach to, <laughs> to speaking, <laughs> to, to keynote preparation, you know, it, it, you know, just let the buyer beware. Right. Now, Pat, Pat's um, process is amazing. And I mean, just a, the amount of dedication he shows, I hope that one day I get to that. I, I do. I watch a lot of TED Talks and yeah. uh, stuff like that to look at other people's styles. But I, uh, I like having conversations and I like telling stories and my style is a little bit more fluid. And so the, the one time I actually did go through and like really, really rehearse, it just bombed. Mm. And I'm like, OK, never, never again am I going to be so prepared that I know every sentence I'm going to say because it, it didn't come off as natural. And that was some of the feedback I got. A lot of people were like, oh, it just kind of sounded like you were reading a, a thing. And I'm like, oh, well, I kind of was in my mind and yeah. was only thinking about what I was talking about. And it was just not it was not a good experience. So I'm like, OK, I need to just make it more like I do my podcast, which is totally unprepared and uh, not a prepared question. I'll do research on the guests so I know about them. But other than that, that's that's about it. It's the same thing. I I, I preach when I talk about uh, having bringing guests onto the show and taking a genuine interest in the the person that's on the other side of the screen for me. In my case, I imagine what you're doing is taking a genuine interest in your audience when you're speaking. Yeah. Right? You're getting feedback. Um, you're seeing possibly reading some body language, seeing what the engagement is in the room. You know, when you bring up certain topics, you can notice things like people stand. You know, sit up. A, little, a bit straighter in their chair, they pay more attention or they start taking notes and and it's a skill, right? To just have this live engagement with your audience and be able to sort of not necessarily change your whole um, speech, but maybe just a course correct as necessary. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny. I um, When I'm talking to an audience, I, I tend to try to focus on the entire room, although it's Sometimes you just get drawn to this one person and you just keep looking at them like you're talking to them. Yeah. But uh, and I know it creeps people. Some people. Yeah. Out, like, why does he, uh, he keep staring at me? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's one of those things you, you have to pay attention. Uh, one of the things that I, I talked to Gary Vaynerchuk about and I, I've met Gary on several occasions. But before my interview, it's like, OK, I know him. Do I really need to go and look at his stuff? I'm like, yeah, I think I need to go and see what he's been doing lately and like really dig into like his last 10 shows and his old Axe Gary V show that he does. <laughs> it cracks me up when he does that. But um, it's not a bad Gary V impersonation. Is that pretty good? That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like Gary and I genuinely like him as a person because I think he's really genuine. So, you know, I, was, I follow him on Snapchat and I'm listening to his Snapchats and just weird faces that he makes on Snapchat. But he made this little mini movie called The Clouds in the Dirt. And it's like his philosophy for what he's been doing lately over this past year. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I kind of I, I want to understand more about what's the cloud stuff and what's the dirt stuff and what does that mean? What context yeah. does that mean? And so it was like he gave a keynote when I first met him where he's talking about how intense he was into the wine business and finding out, you know, what does this taste like? If someone says this tastes like uh, dirt, I need to know what dirt tastes like. So he would put dirt in his mouth from that, if he could get it from that region to see what the dirt tastes like. Or he's like, yes, yeah, many a times I put a rock in my mouth to see what 
this tastes like or wood or something like that. And I'm like, okay, that's intense. Yeah, it is. Because some wine tastes like socks, and I'm not gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised though you, you know i'm like this guy is this guy is really intense i need to know what what does that mean what does dirt mean and so when i when he said something i'm like oh so, so that's what you mean by the whole clouds and the dirt and he goes oh man he was genuinely surprised that i knew that and was like you know my shtick and i'm like oh, of course i follow you and he's He's like, well, this is dirt work. Podcast interview is dirt work. He's like, and not, you know, not in a derogatory way, but it's it's getting in there and it's grassroots stuff. It's yeah. the stuff that not a lot of people do. So I'm talking to you versus talking to the Wall Street Journal that called me 10 minutes before this interview and wanted to do an interview with me. But I told him no, because I'd already committed to you. And I was like, and you just said that on the air. Thank you. <laughs> no, <laughs> so there's the yeah, that- like. Yeah, drop, mic drop moment. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there as well because that just sort of speaks to his integrity, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think there's a there's a um, a story about John Huntsman. He, I think he ran for president. He's some Republican yeah. candidate. I think the story, the reason I remember it is because he had made some sort of deal with someone about buying his company and i think they came to an agreement that the company was going to be sold for 250 million dollars or some crazy you know oh, wow. uh, money uh, you know at the time something happened and i'm sure i'm screwing up the <laughs> the, <laughs> the pieces but what what stuck with me was the fact that uh fast forward they they couldn't make the deal at the time um so ju- they have to regroup like 6 months later at that time the the, the valuation of the company i think goes up and it's worth oh and it's worth like five hundred million dollars or something like that, or three quarters of a, of a billion dollars. So, long story short, I think the guy comes back and he's like, "Well, you know, I, I know you said two fifty, and I know obviously the company's gone up. You know, it's through no fault of yours. So, I, I'm I'm willing to offer you like half a million dollars." And John Huntsman was like, "No, you know, you know, whatever. It was, was two hundred and fifty million, and we we shook hands on it. And so my my word is." is bond you know like if i if i promise you something that's what it's going to be and they didn't even really have a signed contract and we're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars and, <laughs> that's amazing and it's like almost like legendary like the story because i think uh it just speaks to like the man's credibility right and and yeah and, i'd and, heard something about that yeah and the power of like uh, a handshake deal and you know when you give someone your word like really like what that means and i think gary's probably a good uh representation of that yeah he um he 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 really is. And he was like, yeah, and I like the fact that you're keeping up with the time because he only had 10 minutes. Yeah. And he was he was holding up. A, he was literally in an airport holding up a plane. He goes, yeah, the plane's kind of waiting on me. And I'm like, OK, well, so we're as we're getting getting to the 10 minute mark, uh, I, you know, I really want to make sure that we end at 10 minutes. And we kind of he was like, see, and that's the that's the reason I'm glad I took this interview. He's like, you know, he goes, you know, a lot of guys, they'll say 10 minutes, 15 minutes and they'll try to keep you for a half hour. Mm just because they know that you don't want to be rude and just hang up on them. Yeah. So, you know, he was, he was really cool about that. And we've gone back and forth and same thing with a lot of other guests that I've had on. Uh, Chris Brogan was another one where everything went wrong. Kind of like our interview today when we first started, <laughs> I was on the wrong internet connection somehow and it was sounding crappy and it got disconnected. And I thought it was maybe the kids streaming Netflix upstairs. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. And, I had to reboot my router and I, I ate up like the first five minutes of our interview. Yeah. 
And he's just like, dude, don't worry about it. Of course this is going to happen because this is, this is a big interview for you. And not him being, you know, a pretentious, you know, person, but well, sort of, he knew. Yeah, Murphy's Law thing. Right. He knew. He's like, this happens to me all the time. Anytime I have anything big, something goes wrong. So, no, nah, no worries. And he gave me the amount of time. And he was running late because I heard his his phone just like vibrating constantly. He was about to teach a live class and delayed it because he was like, no, nah, man, you you're a good guy and I like you. And since then, there's been a, a relationship there. And we just had him like right after New Media Expo. He was here in St. Louis. That's uh, right. Speaking at the UMSL Digital Conference. Or, and I mean, that was that was cool. And it was a nice payday for him. And it was all because of our relationship back and forth. So. Relationships matter, man. What do you think your differentiating skill is in interviewing? I like to, I listen. I listen to what people say and I uh, I respond to it. But the um, I never interview anybody I'm not interested in. Yeah. Uh, I never. I don't ever. How am I? Why is my vocabulary just leaving me right now? <laughs> I always research my guest. Okay. I always want to know something obscure about my guests. Uh, so I, I have to look into their background quite a bit. And I, I got that from, from Andrew Warner. I mean, um, one of the things that he's known for is just the amount of research that he does on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a researcher like he does, yeah. but I, I, I dig in to try to find out the things that they may not talk about. And I listen to, you know, usually three or four interviews, uh, a newer one, an older one, I'll try to find like the first interview they've ever done on a, on a show just to see what they talk about and see if anything's changed from that very first interview that they've done through what I know about them now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny. You just talked to Jared. I'm talking to Jared tonight. Okay. First time I've had him on the show, which is insane. But, um, yeah, I didn't know he was in the Navy. So, you know, oh, I, may, yeah, yeah. I may mention something about that. Yeah, that sort of came up during our uh, – for the – Obviously, all my super loyal listeners have listened to every episode of Podcast Junkies, so they <laughs> <laughs> um, so they know that Jared Easley was just on, uh, and we had we were live from the floor of NMX, but right. but he just sort of we recorded sort of uh, not stumbled into it, but just keeping the conversation open is sometimes very interesting because you don't have a. a a preset path that you're going to go down and yeah. it, and it opens a lot of wonderful doors sometimes and you end up talking about some random stuff that's of interest to people and like like your discussion about your time with CompUSA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I definitely didn't have a scripted question that would have gotten us to that point. So right. Poaching customers from CompUSA. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it's just, that that's a great uh, skill to have listening, right? Because a lot of people don't do it you know they're just so such in a rush to get through their list of questions and they haven't thought them through and and sometimes it's the, in the beginning that's what happens that's what happened to me i had questions and i asked them and then you could you could sort of hear the conversations a bit forced but then i just yeah. I, I very quickly realized that this is not how i talk in real life <laughs> right <laughs> this is not i don't sit with my friends at a bar and be like what did you eat what is your favorite ice cream Right. You know, like, <laughs> tell me about a past failure. Like, <laughs> like they would have been like, uh, bro, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, why are you talking like that? So, exactly. <laughs> and it's so funny because people can hear natural conversations. And, and that I sort of subscribe to that same school of thought about having people on that I'm comfortable talking to that I've engaged with at least a little bit 
prior to the show because yeah, I just I just like those. There's just more fun conversations, man. That's like my show. I'm like, why why do I have to like follow someone else's rules about you don't? Yeah, booking three guests a week and uh, at some point it would be miserable and I wouldn't be having fun. Yeah, you know it's funny. I uh, I don't remember who I was having the conversation with, but I'm like, you know, I podcast because I'm selfish. <laughs> I want to learn from the best people out there doing the stuff. And the only way I can do that is build my own platform. And so I did. And now I get to talk to amazing people all the time and learn from them because the people that I currently have around me, although, you know, I love them and they're nice people, they're not going to be able to tell me how to build a million dollar plus business or, a billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. So I need to talk to people that can, and yeah. I need to talk to people that can get me from point A to point G, not, <laughs> not A to B. I can see B it's right over there. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to go over there and get it. But G is like, I, I have no idea of the concept to get from A to G. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk to this guy that's already at like Z yeah. or Y or somewhere way further down the, the timeline. As I like to say now, um, I stole that from uh, Michael O'Neill from um, Solo Solopreneur. Solopreneur, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's such a good saying that, you know, you, you talk to people that are further down the timeline than you are. I don't – you'll never hear a guest on that hasn't done something more significant than I've done. And the reason is that I can't grow, and if I can't grow, I don't think my audience can. And so I'm selfish in that regard because, you know, I've, I've had podcasters go, oh, I'd love to be on your show. And I'm like, I'd love to have you – come on once you've done something significant other than start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that I, seems to be the the, the craze you know, now, right? Everyone everyone's yeah. got a everyone's got a podcast. Yeah, I'm like tell me something interesting about you that you've done or, you know, something what what's something that you've done that you've achieved? What's something that people want to know about? And once I get to know people cuz that that sounds a little horrible, right? No, I think you just want if if you know very clearly who your who your audience is and what people look for when they tune into your show then really what yeah. you're just doing is is being loyal to those listeners and keeping yourself honest in terms of providing consistent value right you know when i listen to podcast i want to walk away oh wow i did not know that that is that's something interesting and something i want to go back to i want people to have that experience when they listen to mine just, you know, at least one takeaway. When you listen to my show, I hope that when you leave, oh man, I didn't know that, or that was really good info, or I've never heard that person give that information before. So that's, that's one of the reasons that you research and and you'd be selfish, you know, what do you want to learn? And then contact the person that you want to learn it from. That's awesome advice. And I think uh, a pretty good way to, to wrap up this first session of uh, Harry and Vernon, cool. shoot the shit. <laughs> <laughs> and first, first session of many. I hope. Yeah, I think so, man. I'm, I'm really happy we got the, the chance to talk. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are about the upcoming year. And when you think about it from a podcasting perspective, mm-hmm. for, first off with your show, like what do you think are going to be the, the biggest opportunities or challenges for you as you look to grow your show? You know, it's funny that you you say that because I was looking at that a couple of days ago and I'm like, what in the hell am I going <laughs> to do for the rest of the year? Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that this much of the year is already gone. And yeah. it's like, well, who's next? Who do I want on next? Who's doing something that's new, mm-hmm. that's innovative, that applies to my show? And am I going to continue with the same show? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 52 episodes in and it's like, well, hmm. Now, 
do I want to continue this or do I want to the show to evolve into something else for, for, for now, I think I'm good because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff to talk about social media, online business networking. There's always stuff to talk about yeah, in those, a, in those always, areas. Always an exciting time. Yeah. So I'm just going to continue to look for awesome people to talk to and try to find opportunities to do something a little different. Uh, we were in the pre chat, we were talking about a guy I ran into that's got this amazing video studio that he's building now. So I'm going to start doing some more video and maybe doing some in-person podcast interviews and see how weird that gets. And if it, <laughs> you know, and if it, uh, if it goes well, then, you know, I'll start doing more video. I like what, uh, Chris Cerrone and Lacey, Lacey Vegas, Lacey Vegas, yeah. Urs- Lacey Vegas. Lacey yeah. Ursioli, his co-host. Yeah. yeah. Cause I can't pronounce her last <laughs> name. <laughs> And I think I, every time I see it, it's Lacey Vegas on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> so follow, go follow her. Yes. But uh, yeah, so I like what they're doing with video and how they're taking podcasting to like a different level. It's not just an audio interview. It's audio and video and they're doing on location stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, that would be so fun. It's like yeah. uh, being a correspondent for a real news station. Yeah. So I'm thinking about some stuff like that. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's, 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 we're in fun times. And as Obviously, since we're both tech geeks, like all the new technology that's making all this stuff much easier for us to do, yeah. these GoPro, everyone's got to walk around with a freaking GoPro camera. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> everyone's walking around with a Zoom H5. <laughs> right. It's like this like we're like roving correspondents and it, exactly. gets, it gets a little um, overwhelming and, and to the point where like you, I, I can't imagine when we get to podcast movement in July, like it'll just be like everyone trying to oh grab everyone for an interview and like uh, it almost makes me want to step back and be like, oh, I'm not going to be the person shoving a mic in someone's right. face, but we'll see how it goes. Right. I usually only try to do one interview at a conference. Um, I did two at New Media Expo, surprisingly enough. I didn't really plan on it, but I just like, I think I'll do an interview because mm-hmm. I, I need some stuff when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, as always, I mean, it happened last year. It's happening this year. Um, we, we reconnected and I've got like three or four interviews lined up just as a result of New Media Expo yeah. because it's just a, a good way for me to just shake hands and, and really right. start, yeah, I definitely want to have this person on. So it's, it's, yeah. it's another good reason for folks listening to, to head out to those conferences because there's only so much you can do online with these Facebook groups. You really need to get out exactly. there. Meet exactly. people IRL <laughs> That's right. and, and just, you know, just get, get to know the personalities behind all these names that you see online. Oh yeah, definitely, man. So, uh, one last question. Sure. What is something a little bit different, but what is the one most misunderstood thing about you? Oh man. The one most misunderstood thing about me. I'm not a know-it-all. <laughs> I'm not a know-it-all. I hear that from some people. Usually people that are close to me is like, yeah, okay, sure, thanks. Thanks for the answer. I'm like, look, I just happen to I, – I collect useless data. It's yeah. not – you know, I'm sorry. Or, but I have an opinion about a lot of everything. <laughs> so, that could be good and bad depending on who the audience is. Right. So I, I don't know. I try uh, – I'm, I'm getting better at it, but that's that's one of those. That's I think that sort of answers that question. Very cool. I'll take it. So best place to track you down online? Uh, you can find me vernonross.com, uh, at Ross PR, pretty much everywhere. Awesome. Except except on Facebook, which I still kind of hate. <laughs> That'd be the subject for another conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks again for coming on, Vernon. I had a blast. Uh, it was fun, man. 
So thanks for listening, guys. I had a really had a fun uh, time talking to Vernon, as you can now tell from the, the conversation you just heard. <laughs> it's really a, a testament to having people on that you have a, a comfort level with, because I think that just makes for a more engaging conversation for you, the listener, and for me, the interviewer, and for the guest as well. So there's a lot covered, and I, I touched upon it at the beginning of the of the episode, but it was just really interesting to hear his story that he hadn't shared before about his time uh, getting folks into his uh, computer um, consulting business and just uh, the hustle that he showed trying to get those customers lined up, um, his experience with gaming and, and, and making a business out of that, how he start, got started in getting the website and his services promoted and how he also started getting into speaking and how he's now has a successful, successful career speaking. Um, but I think what's, what's also interesting is his resourcefulness, right? He talked about how he leveraged his skills in PR and his connections in the community to take advantage of the fact that FinCon was coming to his neighborhood. And I think he did a fantastic job. And now he's got connections with the organizer of FinCon and people like Pat Flynn, who he actually interviewed at the conference for one of his episodes. So I, I think there's some valuable takeaways in that. And I think just his approach to taking an interest in his guests and um, making sure that he creates episodes that are very interesting um, and it, and they come out of his genuine interest um, in what the audience wants to hear and his research um, doing his homework, if you will, so that everyone gets a, a real good experience. And it's not the type of podcast where you'll see that he has hundreds of episodes. I think he's really taking um, a calculated approach to figure out who the best guest is for his audience. And I think that's really commendable. So I think you learned a bit more about him that you may have not have known previously, having listened to him on other shows or from his podcast. And I'm I'm always happy when that happens. So as a reminder, um, I'm asking for ratings and reviews as they always are really, really helpful to the success of the show. I was really happy to have the folks from Spreaker have Podcast Junkies as a featured episode recently on on the show, on the on their website, sorry. And that was really um, fantastic. And um, I'm really making a bit more of a push to get uh, some of the episodes promoted through Spreaker. So if you haven't checked them out, uh, go to Spreaker.com and you'll see that you can look for Podcast Junkies there. And uh, you can re- leave a review there as well and um, get some likes on, on the show from that page. But uh, it's always the reviews on iTunes that really, really help us out. So if you've got a couple of minutes, you can actually just pause right now and go over to iTunes, podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes, and leave a nice rating and a review. Or if you've got uh, a gripe with the show, then by all means, leave some feedback there as well. Believe it or not, good or bad feedback is always welcome because it allows me the opportunity to figure out ways to try to make the show much more engaging and interesting for you, the listener. So thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching up with you guys next week. Have a fantastic day.